You guys doing good? Good. Now, last time I was here, everybody was kind of quiet. And, and Ron told me that's what you do when you're listening. So don't listen. We need interaction. Okay, so remember we're going to practice like this means yes, this means no, this means I'm in a trance, all right? If you're in a trance, that's cool. Well, we've been really busy. Let me um, introduce my team. In fact, I haven't seen all my team. Could you stand up, please? I'll know where you're at. There they are right there. They'll be ministering to you this week. And for those of you that don't know my wife, this is my wife, Kathy. She's my first wife. (laughs) And we're not going to have a second one, so that's it right there. Get her done. It's been a really busy time. Have you guys, do any of you plan your, your life like you look, like I plan a year out, I plan my travel a year out, and um, you know, it, it looks really good on paper until you, like, it, it's kind of funny because if you plan a year out, you don't really take ownership of it because you're like, you know what, a year from now, whatever, it'll be awesome. <laughs> then, then you get there and you're like, what the heck was I thinking? And so we were in, um, let's see, last week we were in England for five days, Holland for three days, came home for three days, drove here for three days, go home Sunday for Sunday, preach Sunday, leave Monday for Australia, gone for eight days. I think we're home for like five more or something. Yeah, and, and three, weeks, three weeks ago I was in Ecuador for a week. So I, I haven't really stopped. My body does not know what time it is. I'm serious. It wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We're like, it's time to get up. No, it isn't. So that's been kind of crazy. So if, you know, if I fall asleep up here, it's not because you're boring, all right? Maybe my message will cure insomnia tonight. Um, And and, uh, Steve Thompson's going to be with us tomorrow, I think, right? So that's exciting. I really love him, and his wife Angie's going to be with us too. So um, that's really awesome. Are you guys expecting Jesus to do something powerful? I just really have this real expectation that that Lord is doing something special. I just, I really do. I just, I, I just feel like there's um, there's something swirling. My mom. My mom is in her 70s, and, and today we were driving up from Ta- from uh, Reading to here, Turlock. I almost called you Tahoe. My parents live in Lake Tahoe. And my mom um, called, and I was talking to her, and she's, uh, she's, she's a really strong believer, but hasn't been real active in a church much, you know. So today she's talking to me, and she said, You know, I've uh, been wanting to tell you this for a year. I said, What is it? She goes, Oh. Something really kind of cool happens to me, like, all the time. I said, what is it? She goes, this, uh, this ribbon wraps around my head, and it's got glowing lights, and they flicker. And she's, like, kind of pausing, like, what do you think? And she goes, and the ribbons are different colors. And she said, and uh, it lasts for 15 to 20 minutes, and... And it's been happening for a year, and I've been kind of afraid to tell you. I'm like, wow, Mom, that's some kind of angelic visitation. She's like, that's what I was telling your dad. 
It's just really cool when the Lord just breaks in on, on your life and just starts doing crazy stuff, you know. And people are like, where is that in the Bible? It's called signs and wonders. The idea of a sign is that it makes you wonder. <laughs> you, you know, do you know that all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God's in the Bible? <laughs> you mean like, well, he's in the Koran too? No, I, I don't mean that at all. <laughs> I just mean that Jesus said, that John said of Jesus, if all the miracles, just the miracles that Jesus did were written down, were recorded, the, the world, the earth itself could not contain the books. That's just three and a half years of God's stuff. The books itself cannot, the world itself cannot contain the books. So think about how much God does. So all of the Bible's in God, but not all of God's in the Bible. And I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, there's, there's anti-biblical stuff, which how many of you know we're supposed to be totally opposed to? And some of the church hasn't quite figured that out yet. It's amazing how you can make the Bible say whatever you need it to say to condone your lifestyle. So I think it's important we realize, like, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, relativism or, or anything like that. You, you probably would know. You guys, like, I've been here so many times, most of you would know that. But for people who haven't been here before, like, I'm not talking about relativism or uh, there's no absolute truth or anything like that. I'm simply saying that, that the, the all, all uh, every, you know, everything that's in the Bible is true, but not everything that's true is in the Bible. Somebody, you know, somebody said to me one day, you know, all of the answers for life are in the Bible. That's not true. All of the answers for life are in the author. And, okay, this, let me be practical. So some of you are getting mad. You're going to leave the conference and it's already the first day. And, <laughs> you know, how many of you have ever had to make a choice of what job to take? That's not in the Bible. That's why it says that he who's led by the Spirit are sons of God. Are, are you following me? Well, you shouldn't be. You should be following Jesus. That's a problem already. It already helped you. You know, should I go to Africa or should I, you know, become a doctor? Well, that's not in the Bible. I, what I'm getting at is that most of the, of the questions that you have in life, like, you know, should I sin or should I not? Well, yeah, that's in the Bible, of course. Should I love God or not? Well, that's in the Bible. But what I'm getting at is when, once you become a Christian and, you, and your, your heart's right with God, the truth is, is that the, the decisions that you face on a daily basis, they're not, most of those decisions aren't in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you who to marry. It tells you who not to marry. But it doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't, it doesn't tell you where to go to work. It does, there's, there's, there's hundreds of questions that we ask in an in a, in a average year that, are, that you can't grab a scripture and look it up and go, oh, I'm supposed to take that job. I'm supposed to hire that person. I'm supposed to... You, you understand what I'm getting at. And so, you know, it, it is true that, that all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God's in the Bible. And I think that, you know, we're talking about the difference between being anti-biblical, which I'm not talking about that, but being extra-biblical 
is actually biblical. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound too good when you say it from the pulpit. I do realize there's probably a better way to say it. But it, but it is true that we live, we live a good part of our life in things that are um, not opposed to the kingdom. They're absolutely in the kingdom. See, I, I, think that, I think that all the church is in the kingdom, but I don't think all the kingdom's in the church. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, build the church. <laughs> oh gosh, that's... I said that in a leaders meeting in some place we were at, Europe, in uh, England. As Jesus didn't say, build the church. He said, I will build the church. He said, you extend the kingdom, I will build the church. 147 times he said, you extend the kingdom. He said, I will build a church, you extend the kingdom. That's kind of funny, we have that reversed. Like, we build the church, wonder who in the heck's extending the kingdom. <laughs> then wonder why the world's going to help. Because we're building the church and wondering who's extending the kingdom. And it's important to realize that all the church is in the kingdom, but not all the kingdom's in the church. But we kind of think that in order to get people in the kingdom, we have to get them in the building. It's just a thought. Anyway... I just had it while I was up here. just came right to me. So at this point, we should probably pray. Did we do that yet? No. Okay, so Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lord, help these people. Lord, help them know that I'm right about these things. <laughs> Lord, I pray that the spirit of revelation would just rest on us throughout this whole week. That as each person shares, and as you just share with us individually, Holy Spirit, it's your responsibility to lead us into all truth. That's, that's your responsibility, to lead us into all truth. So open our eyes, take off the scales, let us see in dimensions. Hmm. Yeah, I want to stop for a minute. I, just, I had a vision um, yesterday, two days ago, of, uh, of the Lord replacing the lens of our eyes with... Uh, with um, well, they looked like diamonds. They were like prisms. And when you looked through them, you saw the world through many dimensions. So I want to pray that. Is that right? So, Lord, I pray that, you would, that you would, the eyes of our heart would become like prisms, where light shines through them, and, and we see many dimensions of the world. We see the world in many dimensions, but simultaneously. Lord, we just pray for that. And then we pray for the manifold wisdom of God. That's Ephesians 3. The, manifold, the word manifold wisdom means multicolored wisdom. How many of you know that if you look through a prism, then you need multicolored wisdom to know, about, know what to do about what, to know what to do with what you just saw? Yeah, I think the Holy Spirit wants to open our eyes to multiple dimensions of truth. Well, Lord, I just pray for that right now. That we would see things that we've never seen before. Hmm. That, we, that you would just open up dimensions in the spirit. That we would be able to see in the spirit world. That we'd be able to hear in the spirit world. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let's see. Let me just do a couple things. This is called Casting Vision, cap, uh, cats, casting vision Capturing Hearts. And um, Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there's no vision, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there's no vision, people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. 
I don't think he's talking about the law like, in fact, if you'll notice, it's not even capitalized. I don't think he's talking about the law like the Torah. I think he's talking about the law of restraint. In other words, when you have a vision, see, vision gives pain a purpose. Vision causes you to cause, like, for instance, if you want to have a great body, you go work out the first day, and what happens the next morning? <laughs> you can't move. There's only, let's see, I, I think there's a lot of people that think that, that not wanting to be fat is going to keep them going to the gym. Unless you are a super disciplined person, not want, a negative won't create a positive in your life. Very seldom. And as a matter of fact, that's usually called religion. It says, without a vision, the people go unrestrained or they perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. See, what happens when you have a vision, if you, you go to the gym one day and you work out and you have a vision, like you have this picture of what you're going to look like at the end of the year of working out, that vision will give this pain a purpose. In other words, without a vision, people perish, but happy he, he is he who keeps the law. You will restrain. He's, not, he's talking about the law of restraint. You will restrain your options to capture the vision. You'll get up early, you'll, you'll eat less, you'll do what you need to do to capture the vision. Vision will give your life a purpose. But if you don't have a vision, you know what life becomes? See, li- see if you don't have a vision, you're, you spend your life trying to stay out of pain or find pleasure. The goal of life, if there's an obstacle right here and I don't have a vision, it's like, why would I go through that? If I can figure out a way around, and I spend my life trying to stay out of trials... And, and, you know, James says, consider all trials when you encounter, consider all joy when you encounter various trials. Because trials create a process so that I can get into the palace. See, between the promise, God giving me a promise, and the palace is the process. Vision takes me through the process that, that creates the character that I need to stay in the palace. You know, how many of you know people, uh, you know, or you've heard of people, or you've read about people who've won the lottery? And they've done studies, you know, you know this, they've done studies, they've gone back, you know, five years, they found people that five years ago have won the lottery, run, won at least a million dollars, and what happened? Almost all of those people are broke. I think it's like 1% of the people after five years have any money left. Well, you know, what happened? They got to the palace, but they missed the process. And so, and, and, um, and so this comes out of a teaching that I did for our school ministry. It's actually part of a, a, a 22 series uh, CD set that I did, or teaching um, sessions that I did on leadership. And I think that what the difference between a, a good leader and a great leader is a good leader knows how to impart vision to people. See, you, you know that someone's captured a vision, not when they can repeat it, but when they can see it. When you can see it, see, vision means, vision, of course the word vision, means you can see it. There's a lot of people that can repeat, they can repeat a vision, but they can't see it. Your parrot can repeat a vision. You can teach your parrot to repeat a vision. But it's when you see it. See, something happens when every, everything that's ever been created in here was first created in the invisible realm. Someone, someone created this in their, in their imagination before you ever saw it. I love the story of uh, Walt Disney's, that when Disney World was um, 
when Disney World in Florida was finished, Walt had already died. He's been, he'd actually been dead, I think, like eight years when they finally completed um, the Florida Disney World. And when they were dedicating it, um, a man stood next to Walt Disney's brother, and he said, oh, if Walt could have seen this. And his brother turned to, to the man and said, he did or you wouldn't have. Walt Disney called it Imagineering. And on staff, he had Imagineers. And their job was just to dream. Isn't that amazing? What happens when you capture vision, what happens when you capture vision is once you see it, see, what, you were made in God's image and in His likeness. Think about this. Not just His likeness, in His image. Why is there two words there, likeness and image? Because what God imagined, you became. When you imagine something, when you build it inside your spirit, when you build something in an invisible world, remember Hebrews says, what is seen was made from things that are invisible. When you imagine it in the invisible world, it impregnates you and you want to give birth to it. Great leaders can impregnate people with vision. How many know the great the 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 level of sacrifice that an environment requires determines the size of people who follow? I don't know if you got that. The level of sacrifice that an environment requires determines the size of people who follow. In other words, the greater the sacrifice, the clearer the vision. You know, if I bring somebody up here and and um, say, you know, this person needs $10. I bet you we get $10 really quickly. I bet you I don't have to do much convincing. I bet I don't have to even part of vision. I bet say, hey, this person needs $10 for gas. I bet you they leave with 100 But if I bring a person up here and I say, this person needs a million dollars, I bet you they don't get 100 You didn't hear that. I bet they don't even get 100 Because what happens when someone needs a million is you think, what could I do? But a little boy with a lunch knew what he could do. It's just a thought. Would anyone like to have this? I feel like this is a real word for this conference. Maybe we'll teach on it in a session. There you go. You had a vision. This is a Sexual Revolution, The Naked Truth About Moral Purity. And um, this is the best book I've ever read on sex, and I wrote it. I'm just kidding about that. There are lots of good books on sexuality, but this is a good book, and I think you'll like it. And I think that, you know, when God said be fruitful and multiply, how many know he gave you a sex drive? How many believe that? Okay, a whole bunch of you did not raise your hand. Where did you get your sex drive? Because in the Victorian age, they believed that sex, that your sex drive was actually evil. So let me ask you again. When God said be fruitful and multiply, how many believe that God gave you a sex drive? There we go. Still a few of you have none. Um, What does it mean to have a sex drive? See the problems in the definition. What does it mean to have a sex drive? I I I, I did this in Holland and England. Nobody seems to know. I think it means that you want to have sex with somebody. If you have another definition, please email it to me. 
See, I think that it means that you want to have sex with somebody. And I think that, when, well, I think that we're, we're losing a young generation because we've misinterpreted what it means to have a sex drive. And we teach young people when they hit puberty, listen, this isn't supposed to be happening. And we teach, them to, we teach them to fake it. We teach them to pretend. Pretend this isn't happening. And, and the goal is not, to, is not to get rid of your sex drive. God's the one who gave it to you. The goal is to manage your appetite. We, we've spent all of our time in Christianism teaching young people, hey, this isn't happening. There's something wrong. You're not normal. You know, what happens when, you know, young people come to a place where people are hungry for God and they look around and they think, I'm the only one struggling with this. It's like, no, no, no. This is something that God did. God did this in you. In fact, it says, you know, First uh, Corinthians says, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. You know that the Message Bible says it's better to marry than be sexually tortured. <laughs> it says, your sex drive, you're being sexually tortured. Young people, you're being sexually tortured. <laughs> and it's called normal. And the goal is not to get rid of your sex drive. The goal is to learn to manage your appetite. And listen, if we would teach people that, we wouldn't just help young people. We would save marriages. Because when you get married, young people, when you get married, the war's not over. The war's not over. You still have to manage your, your appetite, in this case your sex drive. You have to manage it towards one person, towards your husband, towards your wife. You, have to manage, you still have to manage your appetite. And so it's really important that we start teaching people, you know, all through the Bible, God is like very open about sex. Like, you should read the Song of Solomon. You know what I did one day? I was teaching on sex. I did a series on sex in our church on Sunday morning, which is very interesting. About 4,000 people hearing Chris talk about sex. Bill was gone. <laughs> and you know what I did? I just took, I just took a, ch- a chapter in Song of Solomon. I said, everyone turn to Song of Solomon. I don't remember what it was. Like, Song of Solomon 8. So everyone turned to the chapter. And, like, and I, just started, I just read it. And the tension in the room got... I said, about every... About every third paragraph, I said, this is the Bible. This is in the Bible. You know, it talked about, I won't even tell you in here, but (laughs) it was just really interesting. And I, and I said to our people, I just began with that on one, one session. I said, I said to our people, this is in the Bible. Do you understand? This is in the Bible. We're trying to pretend it's not. We're trying to pretend this isn't in the Bible. And it is in the Bible, and it's, you know what, you know who's teaching our society about sex? You know, Playboy magazine, Hustler magazine, and it's like, we need to teach our people about sex. Like, it's, it's like, it's, it's not shameful. You know Jewish weddings lasted a week, that's why Jesus made gallons of wine instead of pints? Well, plus he brought his disciples. Yeah, and have you ever read, like in the book of uh, uh, Joel, it talks about the bridegroom coming out of the bridal chamber? Do you, do you know what the bridal chamber was? Weddings lasted a week. They would exchange vows, much like we do. There would be no celebration. They would exchange vows. There's no celebration. Then they would go into the bridal chamber, the, 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 the husband and wife, the bride and groom. They would go in the bridal chamber, and they'd consummate the marriage. You know, consummate the marriage? <laughs> they'd take the bloody sheet from the... From the uh, 
marriage bed, and they would throw it over the top of the bridal chamber, and then everyone would celebrate. The celebration would start. Because they were celebrating that, you know, they were celebrating that these two people won the battle and brought their trophy. See, the reason why you have a sex drive years before God wants you to have sex is so that when you lay with your lover, you've brought something. See, you, get your, you give them something you had to fight to keep. Because anyone can give away something expensive, but only people who understand sacrifice can give away something valuable. I don't know if you got all that. But I think we're supposed to create a sexual revolution. And uh, I feel so strongly about it that four months ago I started an organization called Moral Revolution. And the goal is to write curriculum, not abstinence curriculum. Uh, obviously, we believe in weight. But not abstinence curriculum. Like, something's going to happen. You know what? If you do that, you're going to go blind. <laughs> I'm a, you know what? All the curriculum I've ever read is all trying to get, create a positive through a whole bunch of negatives. Like, here's, if you do this, you, something's going to bet. Well, those things are true, but it's very difficult to, not, to, to accomplish something through discipline and not through vision. But I think we need to teach people, like, hey, the goal, your virginity is a trophy, and the goal is to get it from the battlefield all the way to the honeymoon suite. That's the goal. So when you lay with your lover, you have something to give them. You have to fight to keep. That's the truth. Would anyone like this? Okay, anyone who has serious sexual issues, just come up and get this. No, I'm joking. Why don't, why don't you come get... <laughs> Sorry. I know you don't. I'm just... I was being funny. Turn to John uh, 15. I want to share something that um, actually I've only shared one time, and it was uh, just the other day. In, um, in school, a school ministry, um, I was teaching a school ministry, and the truth is, is that uh, I just started putting some things together a few nights before this, like I just been, you know how you read your Bible and this stuff just opens up to you? I, yes? Remember, you're going to give me feedback, we're not doing this all week. You know how you read your Bible and stuff comes back, to, you know, just, uh, <laughs> you don't even know what I said. You are going to give me feedback if it kills us both. There may just be Kathy and I left at the end of this conference, but she will be giving me feedback. You, you ever read a verse in the Bible that you've read hundreds of times? I mean, you've read, you've read it hundreds of times, and then you read it for the hundredth and fifth time or whatever, and suddenly, like, something just pops out at you. And I mean, it's like so obvious. You're like, that's amazing. It's almost like you've never seen the verse before. How many of you have ever had that happen? Like, you guys are doing so awesome. I love you guys. Thank you very much. You guys are in the third heaven. That's awesome up there. It's close to the angels. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so um, let's just read John. I'm going to read uh, uh, quite a bit of John 15. I want to talk a little bit about this, and um, and we'll, we'll see where it's going to go. But... John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may be, bear more fruit. You are already clean. The word clean there is the same word prune. You are already pruned because of the word which I spoke to you. Just stop for a minute, and let me say this. When, 
whenever, if you've ever, uh, how many of you have ever been in a, in, a, in a vineyard before? You've walked through a vineyard. My uncle had a vineyard years ago, and as, as a kid, I didn't pay much attention to it. But I, what I noticed is this. When, um, when, a, if, when a vine doesn't get pruned, what happens is it begins to, instead of, as the, as the vine gets longer and longer, instead of producing fruit, it creates, it takes so much energy, uh, it takes so much of the, of the vine's energy to produce the vine itself, that pretty soon what you have is you have, you have the vine, and then if you, if, when it keeps growing, it turns into sticks. Have you noticed that? It's just, it's just long sticks. And so when he says that he prunes it, what happens is they cut it back to where the last fruit was, and it begins to bear fruit from there on. But if you leave a vine um, unattended, it becomes just a big, it it becomes totally wood. There's nothing on it but wood if you let it go long enough. So because it creates, it takes so much energy for the vine to grow that that it'll grow something, let's say from here to there, but there would be no fruit on it. But if you cut it back so, it, so, it can't, so it's not spending its energy trying to feed that distance, suddenly you get more grapes. Are you with me? And that's such a great picture for in our own life. See, what happens is if you get overextended, you no longer produce fruit. How many of you have ever done that in your life? <laughs> How many of you have not? The only ones who have not are you're too you're too young to know or something, because all of us have. You know, we're all like, oh, that's awesome. Well, if a little bit of, of that is good, then a lot must be better. <laughs> and pretty soon, what happens is, is all you got is wood, wood hay and stubble. You got no fruit because you're spending all of your energy extending yourself. Are you with me? So when you're getting pruned, how many know pruning doesn't seem very fun? Hebrews 12, right? That says that you're either a son or you're a bastard. What's the difference between a son and a bastard? A son receives discipline, a bastard does not. See, they both get discipline, but one receives it and one doesn't. Man, that's a really huge word for, I'm telling you, for our society where we're at right now. I don't mean just you, I mean, I'm talking about American society. It's like we have made independence a God. We've, we've turned freedom into a God. Listen, our forefathers fought for freedom, and I am certainly glad we have it, because I've been in countries that have just come out of communism, and I'm like, whoa, baby. They tell stories, and I'm like, things that we take for granted, our forefathers fought to make sure that didn't happen to us. But we have to realize that with freedom comes responsibility. It, if you if you if you take advantage of your freedom if you if you embrace freedom and you don't re- embrace responsibility you end up with sticks. Yeah. 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 Now, I don't plan to say any of this at all. Like this is I didn't say any of this to the students. I don't think I did. It is so important that we can receive discipline. I was talking to some of our team this week. It is so important that someone can correct you, and you don't go. Whatever. I, I don't mean you would say it. Maybe, maybe you smile on the outside. But how many know that smiling faces, as, it, as we said in the 70s, don't always tell the truth? I mean, in your heart, someone can say, you know what? What you said was wrong. I, I mean, frankly, right before I came here, right before we took off, 
In fact, we just barely made it on time because one of my staff pulled me aside and talked to me about an attitude towards another staff member. And he just said, and he said, you know, we didn't have much time because I'm like, I've got to go in 10 minutes. He goes, I've got to tell you this. You know, your attitude towards so-and-so, it stinks. You're killing him. He said this, this is, this, he said this statement, you are killing him. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, you're killing him. You're a father in his life, and you don't believe in this part of his life, and you are killing him. And I'm like, hmm. you know what happens when somebody corrects you, don't you? You, you, know, you know your first response, all of our first response, like, who likes that? I don't, oh, hit me again. <laughs> oh, please, crucify. When I hear Christians talk like that, I'm like, you know what, that's not real. Even Jesus, when he was going to be crucified, said, hey, Father, if there's another way to do this, it doesn't seem like a great idea up there. It doesn't seem like too good of an idea down here. Isn't this strange? This verse troubles me. And I can't honestly say I know what it means. I, I, I have a little bit of insight, but I, I don't know. I think there's... It, it feels to me that I can see the surface of the water, if you know what I'm saying. But I feel like there's something really deep here. It says, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, think about it. Jesus was sinless. Jesus never sinned. True, right? Because if he sinned, then he couldn't be... A, a sacrifice for sinners. So we better hope Jesus never sinned. I mean, I, I hope we believe that is true. Jesus never sinned, but it says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jesus ever disobedient? Because disobedience is sin. But it says he learned obedience. In other words, God's not just wanting us to be, not be disobedient. I don't know if I'm saying this right. The goal of life is not to just not do wrong. The goal is to be obedient. I don't do anything wrong. That's because you don't do anything. I don't know if you're learning this, but I'm kind of figuring out that there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who do things, and there's people who critique people who do things. And what I've noticed is the people who critique people who do things, they don't do anything. No, I'm being serious right now. It's like the movie critics never make movies. It's true. And, and people who critique preachers, they never preach. All they do is spend all their time talking about what someone else did wrong. Are, are you with me? But it is really important for us to be able to take a critique to be able for someone to say to us, uh, that was a bad attitude. Um, the way you spoke to that person was not okay. And in our heart of hearts, for us to say, I, I said to our staff member who said that to me, took me aside, really, while I was running out the door today. said, I, you know, you're going to be gone for a bunch of time. I'm not going to see you. You leave the Australia. I need to tell you this. You are killing this guy. I'm like, so, you know, I started to say, well, you know, and I said, what do you, why do you think that? He shared a circumstance, and I had a reason for that. And he shared another one, and I had a reason for that. And then he kind of looked at me, and I go, I get it. I have reasons for those things, but you're right. You're not talking about a circumstance. You're talking about an attitude. He goes, yeah, I'm talking about an attitude. I go, yeah, my attitude sucks. I'll make it right. I'll take care of it. And this is somebody who works for me. I'm his boss. But how many of you know that if you're not approachable, 
you, you, can't, you can't correct other people if you yourself can't be corrected. There's something about embracing. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. I'm not kidding you. I'm not planning any of this. There's something about it's realizing that the difference between being a bastard and being a son is the ability to actually receive discipline. I mean, I mean to embrace it. You can't help but get it because people are going to give it to you. People are going to give it to you. You know, you walk on someone's feet. They're going to give you. They're going to give it to you. But the point is, do you receive it? Can you receive it? Well, the book of Proverbs says the difference between a wise man and a fool is a wise man will not receive correction. Why am I talking about this? It's a prophetic conference. A wise man will not receive correction. But a f- I'm sorry, I said it wrong. A fool will not receive correction. Oh, you know, you run that through your mind, right? I'm like, I'm wondering why you're like, boy, that's some deep insight right there. I never got that from the verse. <laughs> He's bringing us some whole new revelation. Oh, that's what he was talking about, that extra biblical stuff. No, a fool will not receive correction. A fool will not receive correction, but a wise man receives correction. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's funny because we want to embrace people that are always kissing us. And God goes, they're not real friends. Your real friends will tell you the truth. Your real friends will, will, will wound you. I've been wounded. Awesome, you have friends. The church wounded me. They were trying to be your friend. They told you the truth. I'm not going back. Well, you better be careful because you're in danger of being a bastard instead of a son. You don't know what they did to me. Well, you know what? Hebrews says, I don't see any spilled blood. You didn't get crucified. They crucified me. Well, not literally because you're still alive. (laughs) Oh, well, whatever. I do understand that there's people who are abusive, and I, I realize that that's not called discipline. That's called punishment. And there is a difference between dif- discipline and punishment, isn't there? Discipline says, that, discipline says that I love you too much to leave you the way you are. Punishment says you, you offended me, and I will make you pay for that. You inconvenienced me, and I will make you pay for that. Hey, son... You made me look stupid in front of people, and I will, I will make you pay for that. You will never do that again. But discipline says, I love you too much to allow you to behave like that, to allow you to have that attitude, to allow you to think like that. I remember my youngest son, he, uh, he wasn't a morning person. <laughs> and he'd wake up in the morning, nearly, oh, I don't know, every morning, but a good, a good amount of mornings. And he, he's, he's one of our pastors on staff now, so he's cool with me telling us, his stories. He and um, he'd he'd be like five years old. He'd come in the room. I don't want. I can't find my underwear. <laughs> Wore these pair for seven days. <laughs> well, turn them inside out and go for it. You know. <laughs> can't find my socks. You know, it's just like whatever. You know, it's just like what whatever. Just and and um, I'd say. Um, Son, 
do you, you want to take care of your attitude or do you need me to help you with it? Because there is a button right on the bottom of your butt that we can just press and it just, it's just amazing. It just changes your whole life. And he'd go, every morning he'd go, I'll take care of it. I'd say, okay, um, you have five minutes to take care of it. And if you haven't taken care of it, then you and I, we, we'll, we'll work together on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Five-fold ministry. <laughs> Equipping the saints to do the work of service. I want to leave an impression on you. <laughs> but, you know, what we learned from Bill Johnson, because we grew up with Bill and Benny, is we learned that we didn't correct action, we corrected attitude. Because if you correct attitude, the actions will follow. Isn't it funny that God does the same thing with us? He's like, hey, you did such and such. You're like, I didn't do anything wrong. He said, I didn't say you did something wrong. I said you're, you, that you're thinking something wrong. Whatever, I didn't do it. <laughs> How many know the Lord's concerned about our heart? Because out of the heart flows all the issues of our life. Boy, this is really profound tonight, isn't it? I don't know if it's profound. It's simple. But anyway, gosh, okay. Hopefully we'll get to where I was going to share. Let's go on. Prune. Where were we? Yeah, here we are. Every branch of me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're pruned. You're clean. You're already clean. You're already pruned because of the word which I spoke to you. How do we get pruned? Words. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it divides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't do anything. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, oh, this is painful. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and gathered and cast into the fire and is burned. <laughs> it's encouraging. We'll move right on. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is interesting because this is the way we read it. If you abide in me and you've memorized the Bible, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But the context, remember, that's not the context. The context says, listen, it, unless, it, unless you're pruned, you won't bear much fruit. Oh, by the way, you're already pruned by the word. Then he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's not talking about the Bible. He's not saying, listen, if you've memorized the Bible, then you're in me, and you can just ask, listen, you can just ask whatever you wish, and I'll just give it to you. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the context. The context is, if you let my words prune you, then you can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Why? Because when you allow me to prune you, then you have the maturity to ask whatever you wish, and I can give it to you. But if you're a spoiled brat who just produces wood, then I can't give you any more than you have, not because I don't want to, but because you don't have the maturity to handle it. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, the ones that prune you abide in you, then you can ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. 
Listen, memorizing the Bible is important. Like, I, I really do believe in that. You know, Joshua chapter 1, that he who meditates on the, on the Lord day and night, you know, it's talking about keeping his word, meditating on his word, speaking his word. I believe in that. But this is, that's not the context of this verse. This verse does not have anything to do with you memorizing a verse. It has to do with you allowing God to prune you. And you're like, I let God prune you. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, I talked to somebody, we were in L.A., and I was talking to this, this uh this pretty famous movie star's brother, who's, you know, really, I mean, really got tons of potential, but doesn't, he, he grew up as a Christian, he's not walking with God. You kind of get the idea, right? And he's kind of like, oh, all paths lead to God kind of guy. And he says to me, the Lord is my shepherd. I said, really? I said, it's interesting, it happens to be invisible. He goes, what do you mean by that? I said, I said so I said, do you, do you believe that that you should be accountable to someone? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I said, do you believe that God uses human beings to actually help shepherd us? He said again, well, the Lord is my shepherd. I said, finally said, it's interesting. Your shepherd happens to be invisible. So how do we know if the Lord really is your shepherd? Because if you can't submit to people that you can see, how do we know you're submitted to people you can't see? It's just interesting. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd. What, what are you saying? Like, God doesn't have, he has a head but no body? What, what are you saying? You know, how, do, how do I know that you love God if you don't love people? That's what First John says. You can't, it says, don't say you love God and you don't love people. Because if you, if you do that, you're a liar. Well, how do, you say, how do you say God's my shepherd, but the people that God puts in authority, you don't listen to? Selah. But listen, the promise is really awesome because he says, if you'll be pruned, then you can ask whatever you want. This, I mean, this is, this is not like, this is not a negative. This is a positive. He's going, listen, if you will let me discipline you, if you will let me prune you, then you can ask whatever you wish and I'll do it for you. Do, do you think that maybe that the, the level of the prayers that are answered in our life are directly related to how well we receive discipline? I, I, I just wonder if the level of answered prayer in our life is directly related to our ability to receive discipline. I wonder, I wonder how much more we, we would receive if we were able to realize that's what's keeping our prayers unanswered our wishes, if you will, because the Bible used the word wish there. Ask whatever you wish. Wouldn't it be just amazing if you go, I wish I had a Ferrari. And three days later, someone said, you know, I just had this dream and I felt like I was supposed to buy you a Ferrari. You're like, That's amazing. Well, I wish I had a castle. <laughs> well, I wish I had a damsel in distress. I wish I would be a real bummer if you had, you know, you, you only had enough Discipline to have a damsel in distress, but the next wish was you wish you rescued her and you didn't get that answered. And then all you have is a damsel that wants to complain. So uh, we should move on, don't you think? I am probably not going to get to what I thought was important. Da, 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 da. Okay, verse 8. My, uh, my father is glorified in this that you bear much fruit, so you prove that you are my disciples. Just as my Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that you're... Uh, no, I read this wrong last time too. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, be full. Why, why did he tell you all about the pruning and about the discipline and about, like, be careful that you don't get thrown into the fire. Why did he tell you all that? So you can be full of joy. 